Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Welcome into another edition of Take It to the Bank. I got my boy Vasily Lorico's with me and it's here. Training camp is finally here. The Ravens start camp today and full first full team practice. There's so much to talk about. There's so many storylines. A lot of interesting quotes that we're going to dissect later in the show. Um, as you know, we have our usual three segments that we always talk about. We do our AFC North rankings. We're going to do the cornerbacks this week. Uh, we talk about our schedule preview. We're going to do week six against the Tennessee Titans. And then we also do our rookie breakdown, and we do Kenny Young this week, which is really interesting because Kenny Young has a chance to, I think, be a starter. Vasily's not as high on him as I am, but how you doing today, man? I'm excellent. Football's in the air. Can't wait to hear the pads popping. I know, absolutely. Are you making it down the training camp this week or this year? Or what's up? I'm going to see how the schedule plays out. I'll try to make it for sure. Absolutely. I know I'm going this Sunday, and I'm very excited about that. And I'm going to try to make it as much as I can because this is an exciting team, not because I think they're going to be really good or anything like that. I just think it's exciting because there's so many roster decisions, you know, like, and they have five preseason games. I mean, when was the last time you remember that pretty much every position has a good competition with it? I mean, maybe it's for a starting job. Maybe it's for job in general to stay on the team. But there's really competition everywhere. And I don't remember it being like this competitive uh, as, of, as of late. Agreed. Definitely. The Ravens have done a great job. The front office putting together probably one of their best 90-man rosters that I can remember. Absolutely. You know, and the UDFA class is interesting, too. There's a couple good running backs there, too. Uh, Mark Thompson is a guy who was pretty good at Florida. DeLance Turner's been my guy. You know that. And then Gus Edwards, kind of like the fullback, kind of H-back kind of type, but certainly make the roster as that kind of short yardage back as well. But let's get into our schedule preview. So week six versus the Tennessee Titans, we've already covered week five. We're in the middle of our gauntlet that we talk about, that week three to week nine stretch. The Tennessee Titans, this is like, I could just call them the Tennessee Patriots because they have so many New England Patriots on the roster now. Uh, they picked up Malcolm Butler. They picked up Deion Lewis. They already got Logan Ryan. It's really not that many when I think about it. But as of late, they've been scooping up a lot of Patriots. Now they have... Former Patriot linebacker Mike Vrabel is their head coach. Uh, they have former Raven Dean Pease as their new defensive coordinator. Uh, they picked up Michael Campanero. Their draft was interesting. They picked up my boy Rashawn Evans. They got Harold Landry in the second round, which was arguably one of the biggest deals of the draft. Uh, they picked up Dane Cruikshank, that versatile defensive back, and they got Luke Falk maybe to potentially back up Marcus Mariota. Uh, their biggest losses in free agency, I think De DeMarco Murray is a huge loss, uh, but they were able to pick up Will Compton, Josh Klein, Daquan Jones, and like I said, Deion Lewis. Um, what is your kind of thoughts of this team? What's your feelings? How, how should the Ravens attack them? It's going to be a tough matchup, in my opinion. The Ravens against the Titans are a well-rounded, physical, imposing team. To review last year, Tennessee beat Kansas City in the wild-card round before getting bounced by the Patriots. Among their nine regular season wins was a 23-20 home victory over the Ravens in that game. Baltimore actually amassed 84 more yards, 10 more first downs, 
and won the time of possession battle, yet still lost the game. The Ravens defense hit Mariota, Marcus Mariota, seven times, sacked him thrice, made six tackles for a loss, and Eric Weddle secured an interception. But the offense could not find much running room against Wesley Woodyard and company. And Tennessee's all-pro free safety Eric Bayard picked off Joe Flacco twice. Aside from the interceptions, Flacco had a solid game, but an unsuccessful onside kick ended the comeback attempt. And this mid-October afternoon kickoff against their formal, former rival from the a, old AFC Central division, I, I believe it's going to be a tough one. Well, that, that was the game. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but John Harbaugh made that questionable decision. What were they, down 10 in the fourth quarter, I believe? And, and then the Ravens, instead of kicking the field goal, they decided to to go for it on fourth down. They didn't take the points. They ended up getting stopped on fourth down, which kind of, I mean, they were still able to score a touchdown and, and then com- start the comeback still. But, I mean, you kick that field goal, you're still in the game, right? That was a little bit questionable. Sometimes I think you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. The offense wasn't really producing many yards or opportunities, and I, I didn't have a problem with the aggressive call. I tend to favor aggressive coaching on the game day. I'm a little bit opposite on the road. I think I think in a tight game like that, you take the points on the road, especially when you're down two possessions at that point but I, that, that's who Harbaugh has always been his entire career and that's the one thing I'll give him he's, he's been consistent he's consistently aggressive and that's something that you have to praise or, or you like or you don't like but he, that's him you know and that, I think that that's what's what makes him one of the better coaches in the league is he's consistent you know and that's that's key here um offensively the Titans they had a, a dynamic rushing attack last year where they had that two-headed monster with DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry now DeMarco Murray's gone now you got Derrick Henry Deion Lewis and they even got Akram Wadley, uh, undrafted free agent from Iowa, who I thought should have been drafted. Absolutely, was a stud in college. So curious to see if he makes the roster. But they were they have the 23rd total offense last year, 23rd passing, 15th rushing attack. Their offensive line is dominant with their two bookend tackles. They, they re-signed Quentin Spain, as I said. Um, it's gonna it's gonna be hard for the Ravens pass rushers to get home with with, with Conklin and Taylor Lewan. How Wink attempts to attack them, I think you're going to have to blitz because if you you're not going to you're not going to get home if you're only rushing four. It's just not going to happen against this dominant uh, offensive line. They're going to have to stop the the rushing attack. Uh, also, Derrick Henry's a big physical running back. Curious to see how the Ravens will go about trying to if they stack the box and force Mariota kind of beat them because that's what teams did to Tennessee last year because Mar- Mariota kind of kind of struggled a little bit. But our boy Matt Lafleur, uh, formerly formerly the offensive coordinator of the LA Rams, is now in Tennessee. He's the offensive coordinator for them, so let's see if he can kind of build that that offense up and kind of help Mariota get back to his successful ways, I should say. So came off a down year, so it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see what they do there. But their offense, I think, is gonna get better this year with Corey Davis if he can stay healthy. Uh, Rashard Matthews is another guy to watch. Uh, Delaney Walker is a guy you always talk about. You say he's underrated. I agree. So th- this offense is talented. They got a great offensive line. The Ravens could be in trouble in this one for sure. Spot on. Spot on. Lafleur. He's one of the most innovative young minds in the game, and, and I think Vrabel brought him in to, uh, to help Mariota get back on track. The young, the young quarterback had an, actually a negative touchdown-to-interception ratio last year. I do expect that LaFleur is going to move away from that exotic smash mouth, and replacing DeMarco Murray with Deion Lewis should bring much more versatility and variety to that backfield that was just two big pounders last year. Now you have Lewis as a pass catcher to complement the bruiser. So in this matchup, C.J. Mosley is going to have to earn that big contract that he's looking for. Um, And then Delaney Walker, five catches for 71 yards last year, mostly against Tony Jefferson coverage. 
tight ends remain a weekly concern for this Ravens defense. Um, and then getting pressure on the edges against Conklin and Luan is not going to be easy. They're two of the best bookends, as you said. The interior is not quite as stout as far as pass blocking. And I think new coordinator Martindale may consider using some stunts and some twists to free up Willie Henry, Brent Urban, Michael Pierce from the interior to, in order to provide that consistent pressure. But when you use those kind of plays, sometimes you also open up running lanes. So you might have to pick your poison to some extent. If the Ravens are able to put some significant, consistent pressure on Mariota, I do believe the Ravens' cornerbacks should not have much of difficulty covering Corey Davis and Rashard Matthews. Absolutely. I certainly agree. Kind of switching on the other side of the ball there. Uh, Tennessee's defense, 13th overall last year. They had 25th best secondary and the 4th best run D. But that was interesting because I think their secondary is much better than the 25th ranking. I think that their secondary, I mean, Kevin Byard, all pro safety last year. He was phenomenal. Everyone knows who he is except for Deion Sanders, apparently. Um, I, sorry, I had to do that. Uh, Jonathan Cyprian's a very good, strong safety, very physical, aggressive kind of guy. And then their cornerbacks, I mean, Malcolm Butler, Logan Ryan, pair of New England guys. And then Adoree Jackson, the rookie from last year, is solid in the slot as well. So this is a secondary that should be much better than they were last year. And they, and the, and they should give Ravens, the Ravens some fits there because – I'm not so sure if Baltimore's receivers can kind of beat these kind of smaller, speedier guys. I mean, Malcolm Butler's a phenomenal cornerback. It's not so much on the small side, but he's he's very adept in coverage, and I think that he could – he has the potential to shut down Michael Crabtree or whatever he has to do. I think the matchup to me that I would think the Ravens are going to have to exploit is going to be in the slot with Willie Sneed. Sneed's going to have to find a way to, to break free from Adoree Jackson. That's who's guarding him. Um, obviously, Joe Flacco struggled a little bit, as you mentioned, in that Tennessee game at a couple interceptions, both to Kevin Byer. Not all of them were his fault. I think one of them was a tip or something like that, but Flacco's got to get better if, it, if it's him at this point starting. Um, uh, up front, though, Tennessee's got a solid front seven. They got a cut. They got Wesley Woodyard, who you mentioned was dominant last, last year against them. They brought in Rashawn Evans, who's kind of like a, a C.J. Mosley type, where he's kind of jack-of-all-trades. I mean, I expect him to be the starter from day one. Uh, pretty good against uh, stopping the run. A little bit of little bit of weaker in coverage. Still a solid coverage linebacker, though. They got Brian Arakpo, so... I think that the matchup to, to exploit for the Ravens is going to have to be through the air because this is a dynamic rushing defense. I mean, a, r- a run-stopping defense, so they're going to have to try find a way to get success in the air, and I'm, much, I'm just not so sure they could do it against, against what should be an improved secondary. Secondary certainly looks improved on paper. With Jackson, Logan Ryan, and Malcolm Butler, um, they, they really match up perfectly as far as skill sets to combat the Ravens' new new remade receiving core. And I also expect that the Ravens' offensive line is going to have their hands full with an underrated defensive front. Jarrell Casey, their defensive tackle, is a perennial pro bowler. Outside linebackers Brian Arapko, Derek Morgan are very solid players. And Harold Langey was an absolute steal in the second round. I think he's a plug-and-play pass rusher with a variety of polished moves. And Rashawn Evans is also a plug-and-play type, more of a run-stuffer than a, a pass-coverage linebacker. I think the best plan of attack is going to be to try to isolate Hayden Hurst on their strong safety, John Cyprian. Um, and the Ravens are going to have to mix up the run and the pass and try to keep them off-balanced. The, you know, the fourth-ranked run defense compared to the 25th-ranked pass D leads one to believe that a pass-first game plan may be considered, but they're going to have to be balanced. Balance is always the key, as we always say. I mean, the Ravens, 
Flacco's not a quarterback that you're going to be able to win with if he's throwing the ball 40-plus times. How many times have we seen that, in the past, especially in the past couple of years? They're going to have to have a balance with Alex Collins or maybe Javoris Allen or Kenneth Dixon, whoever you want to throw in there, whoever you want to say, but they're going to need balance because they're not going to win many football games if that guy's throwing 40-plus passes. It's just not how they – it's just not in Flacco's skill set. It's just not who he is. It, he was never that guy, and he never will be. And that's not a knock on him. That's just facts at this point. It's just a tough spot for the Ravens. I'm going to go ahead and predict that the Ravens drop this game. This will be their third straight road game, potentially after two hard-hitting divisional games against the Steelers and the Browns. Uh, and while the Ravens are familiar with Dean Pease, he is also well aware of the Ravens and particularly Joe Flacco's strength and strengths and weaknesses. Uh, overall, the Titans beat the Ravens last year, and they appear to be improved on paper. So I unfortunately don't envision a Ravens win here. I would love to tell you that the Ravens win a fourth quarter comeback because that would be so fitting. That would be like the greatest thing ever for the Ravens because after so many years that we've watched this, the, the fourth quarter collapses and that prevent defense that Dean Pease runs in the fourth quarter, it'd be so fitting for the Ravens to reverse it and kind of do it against him. But I don't think it's going to happen. I'm not sure this is going to be that close of a game. I'm, I'm predicting a two possession, at least two possession victory for the Titans. Um, I just don't know if the Ravens are going to have what it takes. Like you said, the third straight road game. Tennessee is going to be a sleeper this year. They're definitely a team to watch. And that AFC South is quietly going to be a, a very, very good division. Um, and, and I don't think not. I don't think many people are really talking about that. I mean, the Colts were there. I mean, I don't want to get off the sidetrack here, but. The Colts are looking pretty good. With, I mean, with, with Andrew Luck, I think they're always competitive, you know. The Texans, if they can stay healthy, with J.J. Watt can stay healthy, if Deshaun Watson can stay, well, stay healthy, I mean, DeAndre Hopkins is a stud. I mean, that's a good team if they can stay healthy. I mean, last year they were ravaged by injuries, but that's another team. Then the Jacksonville Jaguars, I mean, no one saw any, any part of what happened last year coming, but they were able to be dominant, and they were arguably a couple plays away from winning that AFC Championship game. I mean, if they were a little bit more aggressive, they were in the Super Bowl. So I think I don't think they're going to regress this year either. So that's, again, that's a very tough division. So every, every week we break down a, a position group in the AFC North and we, we rank them one to four. This week we're going with cornerbacks. We, we already finished the offensive side of the ball, so if you want to hear about that, you can check out our previous episodes. Last week we did safeties, and this week turning to the cornerbacks. And why don't you kick us off? Well, the last two weeks we've done tight end on the offensive side of the ball and safety on the defensive side of the ball. And frankly, the AFC North does not compare very well at those two position groups to the other divisions in the league. I think the opposite holds true at cornerback. I think the AFC North, all four teams have quality groups. My fourth team, however, is going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers. Their top corner, Joe Hayden, had a very poor season last year. He was ranked as PFF's number 51 corner. Definitely a down year for the former uh, lottery pick. Artie Burns is their second corner. He's an inconsistent player. He makes some spectacular plays, but he also gets lost and embarrassed in coverage on occasion. Mike Hilton, their slot man, was a revelation for them last year. He really played well, and he is probably one of the best slot corners in the league. And their top backup, Cam Sutton, was a player I liked a lot coming out of Tennessee, but he hasn't really found his footing at the professional level as of yet. So I don't think Pittsburgh's corners are bad per se. However, with the with the quality of the other teams in the division, they are going to be my number four team. All right, some discrepancies here. I have the Cleveland Browns at number four. 
Um, EJ Gaines, a uh, little bit of, an, I think he's a little bit of an overrated guy. I think he gets beat a lot down the fields for shorts and sidelines. Denzel Ward, again, this has been consistent with all my rankings. I don't know what to expect from him. I really wasn't that high on Denzel Ward. Um, I, I thought that he was the best cornerback in the class for sure. There was no dispute about that. But I was curious about how he, how his size and speed was going to play in the NFL because I know he's a little bit undersized, really quick. But I think at times he lacks physicality, and I think that, that receivers might be able to just body him back, and he might struggle against the bigger receivers, especially, I mean, in the AFC North where, where most of the receivers are more physical as opposed to speedy guys that match Ward, more Ward's strengths. So I'm curious how he's going to play. Uh, then they have the, the proven slot guy, Brian Body Calhoun. I think Calhoun is one of the more underrated slot guys in the league. Certainly impressive. Curious to see how his, how his role expands or, or, or decreases with a kind of new group around him, but he should get certainly a lot of play at the slot position. They drafted Simeon Thomas, who I think is nothing more than just a, another guy. Uh, they also have Terrence Mitchell, Terrence Mitchell, who I think to me is just not not a starter, going to get much play this year either. So that's kind of my take on the Browns. I just don't think they're pro they're very proven yet, and and they would have been better if they had uh, Demarius Randall, but he they had to move they moved him to safety. That's fair. I, I originally had Cleveland four, but on consideration, I bumped them up to number three in my rankings. Uh, as you mentioned, Denzel Ward, he's going to be their top cover man. He was a number four overall pick, and you're right, his size is somewhat of a concern. He's about 180 pounds, so he may have some trouble against bigger-bodied receivers, but he does have elite athleticism, and I think he's going to fare reasonably well. Uh, I'm a little bit higher on EJ Gaines than you. He's formerly of the Rams, uh, and he breaks up a lot of passes. Their nickel, Travis Car Carey, played for the Raiders last year, and he's also uh, very solid in coverage. And then their top backup, Body Calhoun, Another quality corner. He plays a very physical brand of football. Uh, and overall, it's just really a good crop, but they don't quite have the pedigree of the top two groups. Absolutely. That's actually an interesting competition between Kerry and Calhoun for who's going to get that starting slot position. So curious to see how that works out for them. Number three, I have the Pittsburgh Steelers. So we kind of went reverse here, and I kind of agree with everything you said. Mike Hilton was impressive last year. But Cameron Sutton, I do want to say this because Joe Hayden had a down year. I know I'm, high, I'm way higher on Hayden than you are. But I do, I do want to mention this, and Artie Burns struggles a little bit. He's inconsistent. But um, Cameron Sutton had a couple of good games last year. Uh, he was, if you go back and watch his film, at times he was done. When he played, he, there were times where he looked very good. I think he... He had some play against the Ravens in that Week 14 game, and he was pretty solid as well. So Cameron Sutton is an interesting player to watch. I think he can kind of cement himself maybe as a starter at some point. Cody Sensiball is another guy as well that, that I don't know if you mentioned, but Cody Sensiball could be a solid – he's a solid depth piece as well. So I just feel like Pittsburgh had a little bit more quality depth as opposed to the Browns. That's fair. I could really go either way on those two. Moving on, my number two ranked team is the Cincinnati Bengals. William Jackson – was outstanding down the stretch last season. He recorded 13 passes defensed in, in uh, I guess, five or six games that he started. And he just really locked down every receiver he's faced. I think he's poised to become one of the best corners in the league this season, which will be his third year, but really his second because he missed his first season with injury. On the other side, Drake Kirkpatrick, he's a tall corner, and he also had a terrible year. In 2017, ranked as Pro Football Focus's number 91 cornerback after signing a lucrative contract. And I actually expect Arquez Denard, another first former first-round selection and talented press man corner, to push Kirkpatrick for that starting job. And then rounding out their depth chart is Kavari Russell. 
who's uh, he's not a great player. He could actually be exposed if forced into action. Yeah, I mean, I have the Bengals at number two as well, and I certainly agree with your analysis. William Jackson kind of surprised everybody with how, how well he played last year and certainly could, could if he can step it up again. I mean, that, that guy was shadowing Antonio Brown uh, with the best of them. I mean, he was doing great in this tough division. So William Jackson is certainly another player to watch. Drake Kirkpatrick, another struggling cornerback from last year, but could, could be due for a bounce back year. I'm not as high on Denard as you are, but... Denard's a quality backup, and then Russell is just another quality. Is not really that good of a backup, but at this point, I think that their best, their top three, are certainly better than the the Browns and the Steelers. That's why I put them at number two. Number one is our hometown Baltimore Ravens. When healthy, Jimmy Smith is one of the most talented cover corners in the game, and he's also uh, very good in in run support, and he can shut down every different type of style receiver, whether it be a big body guy or a quick guy. I mean, he's just he's one of the best there is. On the other side, second-year man, Marlon Humphrey. I think he's ready to take the next step. He's an extremely fluid player with elite athleticism. And then Brandon Carr, he's just a model of consistency. And his four interceptions last season led the division. So you're hard-pressed to find a better top three on the outside, really anywhere in the league, in my opinion. And then behind them, Tavon Young, he exceeded all expectations as a rookie in 2016. He was a fourth rounder out of Temple. And I think he's really going to thrive in his more natural slot corner role. And finally, Maurice Canada, he's a versatile utility defensive back. I mean, the Ravens, they just have outstanding depth at the position. So that really cements them in the top spot. The Ravens have the best depth. I'd even argue they have the best depth in the league at cornerback. I mean, the amount, I mean, they've we already went through it in our in our training camp preview, but they have seven talented cornerbacks that really I think could make any other team, and it wouldn't be a question. Like Jalen Hill was probably their seventh cornerback right now, and I'd argue that Jalen Hill would probably be the number three guy on most teams in the NFL. So the Ravens certainly have quality depth. You kind of ran through them all beautifully. I don't need to repeat you. We don't need to do that. But I think the Ravens have a lot of depth. I think Marlon Humphrey has a potential to be a shutdown, lockdown, future number one corner at some point sooner rather than later. Brandon Carr is your reliable guy. Jimmy Smith is certainly that bona fide number one. Biggest issue is can he or will he stay healthy? Maurice Kennedy and Tavon Young are both their slot guys. I think I think both are both are interesting. I think I'm curious to see what Young does. I mean Young coming off that phenomenal rookie year got hurt, missed his entire second year. Is he gonna be the same guy in year three? Kennedy kind of been injured his whole career but came back last year and was certainly I mean he took the job from Webb and Hill as the starting slot guy and he performed pretty well. I thought he, I thought he had, had a couple um, things that he had to work on in terms of, of skidding back and kind of awareness of the situations. Uh, he was kind of at fault at that fourth, and he was part of the reason why the fourth and 12 uh, debacle happened. So got to look at it more, got to see, got to get better awareness for him. But I think th- this defense could certainly improve. I mean, outstanding depth. I and mean, we didn't even mention Anthony Averett or your boy Stanley Jean Baptiste, who could probably compete for the fourth cornerback job on a lot of teams in the NFL. Uh, moving on to our rookie tape preview, tape breakdown. We are working from the bottom to the top, starting in the seventh round and going up to the f- first round, the Ravens' two first-round picks. And this week, we're going to be previewing Kenny Young, an inside linebacker from UCLA, who the Ravens selected with the 22nd pick in the fourth round. He was a prize recruit out of New Orleans. He measures in at 6'1", 236". He was a four-year starter for the Bruins, 
first-team All-Pac-12 as a senior last year with 110 tackles, including eight and a half for a loss and three pass deflections. And that came on the heels of a 90-tackle, five-sack, three-pass defense, second-team All-Conference junior campaign. So he definitely put up a lot of production in college. As testing at the scouting combine also shows an explosive athlete, his 40-yard dash time, as well as his vertical jump, were both above the 80th percentile at the position. Yeah, Kenny Young's an interesting guy because at first I was really pissed off when the Ravens made this pick. I didn't understand it. I don't know why because I, th I thought it was a little bit of a high range for him. I thought that it was like, I thought you could have got him later. I thought the fourth round was a little bit too early for my blood. I thought that you could have taken him a little bit later. And I thought there was other guys available in that fourth round that you could have could have went could have went with in a different way because I, I to me Kenny Young at times can just be another guy but then I looked at his tape again and kind of reviewed it and I kind of see why they might have overdrafted him because they love his coverage ability last year we talked about it the Ravens struggled to guard the tight end they struggled to guard the running backs at times too on the weak side linebacker position struggled to guard anybody and in coverage in general and the Ravens found solid guy in the draft who was arguably one of the better coverage guys in the later rounds. I mean, Kenny Young's greatest strength is his coverage ability. He's great in his dropbacks. He's great at matching players. He's great at shading him off and doing great things there. So I love him in coverage. The problem is, and you're probably going to talk about it a lot, is that he can't stop the run at all. He has weird, He has very bad instincts in the running game. Uh, he's, he's slow to hit the hole. Yeah, so at times he misses guys. At times he takes on the wrong hole. He takes on the wrong guy. And he struggles to get off of blocks. He struggles to shed those blocks. And that's a huge issue for the Ravens. And you were kind of talking about it in our training camp preview. And I'll bring it up again. As you talked about how maybe the Ravens could go by like weak side linebacker by committee approach. And they could certainly do that where in obvious passing situations they bring in Young. And then maybe in run situations they bring in maybe a guy, maybe a guy like Van Bradley. Maybe a guy like McClellan if he's on the roster. Or, or they can bring in maybe or, or pa Patrick Onwasu. So you have, you have all these different options. But, but Kenny Young has got to get better at stopping the run. You nailed it. I mean, he's... Frankly, he's just poor against the run overall. He has trouble finding the ball. He lacks instincts. He has trouble diagnosing run plays. He gets lost in the wash. He's frequently engulfed by the blockers. I mean, once they get their hands on him, he just can't get off the block. So that's definitely an area that he's going to have to work to improve upon. But uh, on a positive note, his strengths, I mean, that I noticed on tape, he has sideline to sideline range. If he gets an angle... Uh, no one's getting around him, whether it be a running back or a quarterback. And he has that burst to bring that down those ball carriers when they are running laterally, that closing burst. <clears throat> His man coverage skills, as you mentioned, are exceptional. Quick feet, change of direction, and he mirrors running backs out of the backfield very well. And he also is a, a solid form tackler, so I think that's another plus good technique in that regard. Absolutely. I think that what you're, what you said was obviously right. I'm I just think that he's also a special teams guy. He's a guy who can certainly replace Albert McClellan on that special teams. Because uh, he it was interesting because he kind of talked about it. UCLA. He, he didn't play a lot of special teams, but he played a lot in high school, he said. And, and in, in his press conference, he talked about how the Ravens ran a similar system, uh, a special team system as he did in high school. So he said the jump wasn't that big. Or he said the jump he doesn't think is going to be that big. He thinks he can kind of adjust to it pretty quickly. So... That's a certainly a positive sign for him because you draft him in the fourth round, you expect him that he's almost immediately going to make it. At the very least, he's going to make a, a contribution on special teams. Uh, most draft analysts had him as, as a sixth or possibly even seventh rounder, uh, and I actually tend to agree with them, you know, just, just because he's not a well-rounded player. He's a one-dimensional player. 
I think you're correct. He's going to be a special teams contributor primarily this year. He could be deployed for obvious passing down situations, as you mentioned. But at that point, I wonder why not just put in a pure safety to play that position and really get a little bit more speed on the field, a little bit better in coverage uh, to, to, to match up against those tight ends. Apparently, Young was turning heads at minicamp. But his skill set really is the exact type that you would expect to look better in shorts than it does in pads. So personally, I'll go out on a limb that I believe there's a better chance that he lands on injured reserve in 2018 with a phantom injury than the chance that he grows into a starter this year. I agree. Instincts are key at that position. And I'm not sure if that's something you can develop. So we're going to have to see how it plays out with, with our friend Kenny Young. All right, so now we're going to shift to – so we have this segment, you know, so the, the NBA free agency just happened, and that kind of inspired us to have a little ideas. You know, the NBA uh, – we're not an NBA podcast, but you kind of know the, the, the story of the NBA now. The super teams are happening all over the league. Star players are joining other star players. And, we're, and that got us thinking, like, what if the Ravens' contracts do not matter, salary cap does not matter in this scenario, if the Ravens could just pick one player – from any team, just one player, anywhere, regardless of what his contract is, anything like that, to play for the, play for them this season, who would it be? Who do you think would take them over the top? I'm going to let you go first on this one, but I know we disagree on who it should be. This was not an easy decision for me. There's so many supreme talents in the league today. I first considered pass rushers, a guy like Avon Miller, Khalil Mack, even a Calais Campbell, or defensive backs. Harrison Smith, excellent safety. Marshawn Lattimore and Jalen Ramsey, two lockdown corners. But last February's 41-33 to shootout of a Super Bowl really proved to me that the NFL is an offensive-driven league. So then moving to the offensive ball, side of the ball, I was considering some of the offensive linemen, such as Tyron Smith or Trent Williams, somebody that could be that bookend tackle, really solidify the Ravens' blocking units. At the end of the day, however, I wanted to pick a player who could autonomously transform the team without requiring a great deal of assistance from his teammates, and that player is going to be the controversial Odell Beckham Jr. I think he could be the one that puts them over the top and leads them to a Super Bowl, and here's why. He is the most explosive player in the league, bar none, and his production is not scheme-dependent. He has incredible speed and agility, which enabled him to break 30 tackles in 2016, which is the second most of any receiver in a single season in the history of the NFL. Uh, and as we know, he missed most of the last year. And, but th that really shows his worth as, as the Giants regressed from 11 wins in 2016 to only three in 2017. And his career averages of 94 yards per game over 14 yards per catch and 38 touchdowns in 47 games to overall career games puts him in rarefied air that compares well against anybody. So his skill set, including the, his amazing hands and run after the catch ability and his fiery competitiveness would really help give that Ravens offense some swagger, some edge that they've missed since Steve Smith senior hung up his cleats. I mean, overall, he's just an unstoppable force that can change the game in an instant. His presence alone would alleviate pressure from the other offensive weapons, and he would single-handedly strike fear into the opposition. So I believe Odell Beckham Jr., out of every player in the entire league, 
would give the Ravens the best chance to be legitimate Super Bowl champions in 2018. I appreciate you going through and explaining your process. So here's my thing. Here's what I did. And here, here's kind of my process. Is you kind of went through and you said who's going to change the game, who's going to do that. And that makes sense. But I did it a little bit differently. What I did is I looked at the Ravens roster and I said, where do they need the most improvement? Where does this team really need to improve? Where am I least comfortable with? Because there's no doubt that they need playmakers, but where do they need a playmaker? So I looked, I went through the roster. Quarterback, obviously, I'm not getting, I'm not just plucking a quarterback. I, mean, I think that a lot of people might say, oh, just get Darren Rodgers, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, whatever. But I don't think that would help them nearly as much in another position because Joe Flacco or Lamar Jackson, whoever it is, I think is able to at least manage the game and be somewhat successful. The offensive line, I, I was gonna, I was thinking about maybe going center, maybe getting another tackle, but I didn't think that that would impact the game nearly as much as other positions, even though that is a very important position group. I felt a little bit comfortable with what they got there. Wide receivers, I mean, I liked, I love the pairings that they have right now. I love that trio of Crabtree, Brown, and Sneed. So I said, you know what? That would, if I got another wide receiver, maybe like an Odell Beckham, Julio Jones, Tony Brown, whatever, I think that that would push one of those guys down the depth chart, which wouldn't be that bad because, I mean, I'm getting one of the best receivers in the game, but it wouldn't really impact them as much because I, I felt like without them, without getting another wide receiver, those guys can still put up solid production. I thought maybe maybe get a, a proven tight end. Maybe you go like a guy like Rob Gronkowski, Travis Kelsey, something like that. But then I was like, well, Hayden Hurst, Mark Andrews, should, should have solid seasons this year. And then I switched to the defensive side of the ball. Defensive line, the Ravens are stacked. There's no need for that. Maybe you can go an edge rusher. Maybe a guy like Joey Bosa, maybe Melvin Ingram, some, or Von Miller, Khalil Mack. But then I was like, I'm kind of comfortable with what they have right now at edge rush. I know they struggled a little bit last year, but I thought that their outside, they're outside linebackers with Suggs and, and Judon stepping up for another year. So Darius Smith, who was solid in there. And then you have Tyus Bowser, who could have a – a breakthrough season, and Tim Williams is another guy who who needs a little bit more time to develop. But I felt comfortable with their depth there. You know, inside linebacker certainly you could have went with a guy like Luke Keekley to pair with C.J. Mosley to improve their coverage ability. But then I was like, I always think about what you said with the weak side linebacker, and then I I, I don't know. I just didn't I didn't think that maybe because then I pushed C.J. to weak side linebacker. I guess if I took Keekley, but it just didn't work for me. And then cornerbacks, the Ravens were stacked at cornerbacks. There was absolutely no need for me to get a cornerback. And I guess you know where I'm going with this is the Ravens' safety play last year was absolutely atrocious. Whether it was, I think it was a combination of scheme. I think their scheme was bad. I don't know if I love the combination of Weddle and Jefferson. I think it's just two box safeties that just don't mesh. They just don't have, and I don't know if the scheme can fix that. I don't know if Wink with his scheme is able to fix that because you have two guys with the same skill set who both kind of struggle a little bit in coverage. And I, so I thought about what would the Ravens really need? They need a true, rangy, center fielder type free safety. They need a guy who's excellent in coverage. I actually you know what? They need a guy who is elite in coverage. They need a guy who's going to drop back and take over and shut down the entire back end of the defense. They need a guy who's going to take over a game and, and stop the team from passing the ball. Because you always say this, and I love it, is you say the Ravens last year, they tried to force teams to pass the ball, which is absolutely asinine in today's NFL. You do not try to force teams to pass the ball. It's actually, you should do the opposite because teams love to pass the ball in a passing-focused league, a passing league in general. So what do the Ravens need? They need a guy like Harrison Smith. Harrison Smith was the best safety in football last year. He was pro football focused, his top-graded safety. He was the best in coverage. He had five interceptions, 12 pass, uh, pass breakups. He had a, a sack and a half. And the guy is, was so impressive in coverage for that Vikings defense. He shut down the secondary for them. He was phenomenal. He was, he was tremendous. And what he would bring to that defense would be so much more. 
he would take this defense and make it from great to elite. He would take them from being top 10 to being top 5 without a question because what you could do with him now, now let's let's play out the tape. If you bring in a guy like Harrison Smith, right? I Personally, what I would do is I would have him and Weddle be the two safeties, right? right so I'd, I'd have him as the free, uh, free safety and I'd have Weddle more as the box safety. And then I would put Jefferson in that Anthony Levine-type hybrid role in nickel and dime packages and have him play closer to the line of scrimmage, which he even said he's more comfortable doing. And that's kind of what closer what he did at Arizona so you could emulate and, and replicate some of his success that he had at Arizona. You're putting him in more of a natural position while you're improving your defense in the, on the back end, the coverage abilities. I mean, it's an absolute – to me, it's a no-brainer. You have to go free safety. Now, you can argue with me a guy like Earl Thomas might help too. And Earl Thomas, the only reason why I didn't say Earl Thomas was just for the simple fact that he's coming off of an injury. And I didn't, I didn't, I don't know if he's going to be the same player, but Harrison Smith is coming off of one of his best years in the NFL. Absolutely, without a doubt, he would make this defense elite. It's a great choice. If I would have went on defense, I probably would have went with Harrison Smith as well. Absolutely. So I do want to cover a couple of topics that broke on Thursday, because that's when we're recording this on Thursday morning. The Ravens picked up Rashad Perryman's roster bonus. This was something that we talked about a lot in the offseason. What are they going to do? Are they going to pick up his bonus? Uh, he's, he was owed... $649,485 by Saturday, so the third day of training camp. And the Ravens decided early. They didn't want to play the theatrics. They didn't want us to have our popcorn. They just said, we're going to pick it up. So that leads me to question, was this the right decision? Where are you thinking with this? What are you at with it? Where are you at with it? I think they were always going to pick up the bonus. You know, they've already invested so much into Perryman. They might as well give him another Another shot, 650K is a drop in the bucket in consideration to, I mean, it's a lot of money, but with the salary cap at 177 million, 650K, it's a worthwhile gamble to take. Maybe he takes that next step. Maybe he becomes trade bait. At a minimum, he gives you injury insurance in case a guy like a John Brown goes down in the preseason. Absolutely, and that's the thing is, I, I believe that some people are taking this thing, after just reading Twitter and stuff, seeing kind of where people are at with it, I think people are taking this out of proportion. It, this does not mean that he's making the roster. Like you noted, that amount of money, is it's a lot of money. But in terms of the NFL, the salary cap, what these guys are getting paid, that's nothing. That bonus is, is pennies to, to Steve Bashotti at this point in time when you're managing the salary cap and things like that. All this is doing is they're giving him some money because he's owed it, and they're saying, you have one more shot. This is it. This is your final tr- Pre, this might be your final training camp and preseason with the Baltimore Ravens if you don't step up. Right now, he's arguably the sixth or seventh receiver on their roster. I would say seventh. Or seventh receiver right now on their roster, and he's fighting for a spot. He is not guaranteed a spot at all. I would even say he, if I were a betting man, I would the, favor, the odds would be against him to make the roster. He is an uphill battle for sure to make this team. I mean, I, I think that there's six receivers that are locked in. The only way that he's going to make the team, in my eyes at this point, is there's got to be an injury, or or if another player that's not a receiver wins the returning competition. Because if Tim White wins the returning competition, they're keeping a seventh receiver, and it's going to be Tim White. Or if another receiver, maybe that guy like Janarian Grant wins the returning competition, there you go, that's his spot. His The, the only way they keep seven receivers, is, assuming that no one else gets hurt, is if someone else, maybe another running back, maybe a guy like Lance Turner, maybe you can get a, a, a guy on defense, maybe a safety, a cornerback, someone like that wins the returning competition over Tim White. And I'm not sure how, if that's really going to happen. I know you're a Tim White guy, that's, that you're the president of his fan club, but I think that the only way he's making this team is, is, is by injury 
or if someone else other than a receiver wins the returning competition, and then they're, and then they they're forced into making a decision. But he also has to prove himself that he can one consistently create separation. That wasn't that wasn't that big of a uh, an area that he needs to work on last year. Based on the film that I saw, I thought that he was getting open a little bit. But the biggest issue, and and, and we'll talk about it again and again, is that he struggled. He couldn't catch the ball. You know, when he was getting open, he just wasn't catching the football. He, let alone tight uh, contested catches were, were not even – he was not even coming close to any of those. But, I mean, wide open catches. I mean, he was dropping so many balls at the point where Flacco just stopped targeting him. And he was eventually phased out of the lineup. So, to me, this is this is a non it, – I mean, we're talking about it because they, it, it's news, but, like, it's a non-story. It, this is this means nothing in terms of his roster stock. This, this means that they're giving him one more chance because I feel like they have to. And if someone gets hurt, he's, he would be the next guy. I mean, yeah, it doesn't change his roster – his roster shot. I would actually put him on a level playing field with the two rookies, Jaleel Scott and Jordan Lasley, uh, for for to make the team. I don't think either of those two guys are locks either. They don't. Ravens don't like to give up on their rookies. They also don't like to give up on their first rounders. So I think it's a three. It's a competition between those three, and most likely the two most productive players that uh, in the preseason are going to make the club. Really. You you really don't you really put him in, in line with Lasley and uh, and Scott? I do, I absolutely do. You know the Ravens picked twelve players, not all of them are going to make the team, and Perryman has more natural ability than either Scott or Lasley. So I, some people consider you know those two guys absolute stone cold locks to make the roster. I do not. Okay, so they drafted Scott in the fourth. They drafted uh, Lasley in the fifth, and. I know that in previous years, I know there's times where the Ravens have, have cut guys in when they a couple, not many, but I think it was like one or two where they've let go of their draft picks the same year they draft them in the fourth or fifth round, and that's going to happen uh, this year. I don't know with them, but I think one at least one of the, their draft picks this year is not making the 53 man roster, especially when you have a 12 man draft class. It's just not going to happen. But I digress in the terms of okay, so Jaleel Scott brings you something that Perryman cannot bring you. Jaleel Scott is a red zone threat. He's a third down target. He, he's a chain mover. That's a guy that you can throw jump balls to right now, and, he'll, and he has a chance to win him because he's got excellent body control and he's got excellent body positioning as well. He's so good to use his body to box out the defender and put himself in a position to make the catch. He's got great hands. That's, that's the reason why I believe that he's a lock to make the roster because you can use him, whether he can create separation or not, you can use him in the red zone. You can develop him on the side, whatever, and let this kind of be a developmental year, but when you're in the red zone, you can put special packages in for him and have him go, like, right away. So I, Scott, to me, is, is head and shoulders above Perriman right now, just, just off the fact that you can use him right away because that's what his skill set is. Lasley, on the other hand, I think Lasley and Perriman are a little bit closer because, I mean, Lasley has, suffers from the same issues. Lasley's a drop, a drop artist, I'll say, one of the worst drop rates in college uh, historically. and But what Lasley can do and the reason why I would believe that maybe he's ahead of Perryman, and I think he is ahead of Perryman, is because Lasley is so much more electric after the catch. I mean, UCLA, if you watch their tape, they just found ways to get in the ball, whether it was screens, end-arounds, whatever. They just found ways to put the ball in his hands because once he had it in his hands, he was off to the races. I mean, that guy, he's able to miss, make so many guys miss. He's electric, he's explosive, he's dynamic, he's agile, he's elusive. I mean, he's every adjective in the, under the sun. I mean, he's incredible. The only problem with him is that limited route tree, which Perryman also has, and drops. But that's why I put him a little bit ahead of Perryman right now because Perryman really, is he? would you say that he's electric after the catch? No. Would you say that he excels at creating separation? 
I'd say he does it a little bit, but drops are a huge issue. And until he pro- until Perryman proves to me that he's that he can consistently catch the football, he's not guaranteed a spot. I personally think he's going to end up making the roster one way or the other, but that's because I think that out of I'm not buying into Tim White as much as you are, and I think that Perryman's going to make the team because I'd be surprised if there wasn't a single injury to uh, to one of those six wide receivers. I mean, I hope there's not injuries. Are the worst thing in the NFL, you hate to see it, but. If we're being realistic, it's inevitable. Yeah, most likely. I mean, we can't predict exactly. You know, the wide receiver corpse is very crowded. Don't get me wrong. I don't think they're going to outright cut Scott or Lasley. I think if one of those players does need a little bit extra development, we could see them land on IR. But as you said, Lasley and Perryman are very similar type of players. They had a lot of the same strengths and a lot of the same weaknesses. Perryman, don't forget, two years ago in 2016, when he actually had a solid year, he did have some pretty good yards after the catchability. Uh, if I remember correctly, he took a, at least one slant, if not two, to the house for long touchdowns. Scott, he definitely has a different skill set. I think he probably has a better chance than Lasley, in my opinion. But And he, he does have utility in the red zone, as you mentioned. But the other consideration is he, he can only help in the red zone if he's on the active roster. And the, and the Ravens can only dress out 46 players on the roster. And I'm not sure he makes that top 46 um, on very many weeks this year. I think it's an interesting debate. I don't know where to go with it. Um, I, 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 I just want to say it again, is that this is not, there is no real takeaway from this. The, the, the fact is the Ravens picked up the option because they wanted to give him one final chance because it just didn't make sense not to at this point. It has nothing to do with what he's done in the offseason or what he hasn't done or anything like that or how they feel about him. It's just the fact that it just didn't make sense not to do this because, okay, hypothetically, they, they decline the option. He becomes a free agent. He's signing. some Someone's taking a shot on him. So he's gone at that point. He's gone. So then let's just say someone gets hurt. Who do you have to fill for him? Who's stepping up? And I'm not saying Perryman is the perfect replacement, but he I'd rather have him as a backup instead of some undrafted free agent or some guy who's on the streets right now. That's just my opinion of it. But I, I want to skip forward to the press conferences from yesterday because I think there was a lot of interesting notes there. I thought that there was a lot of things. And actually, if, if you really want to talk about it, uh, uh, Tony Jefferson kind of talked a little bit about how he was studying other safeties on the offseason. And you know who he said he studied? Just my boy, Harrison Smith. Listen, Jefferson, I'm not trying to say, like, oh, he studied him, he's going to become Harrison Smith. But I think I like that from Jefferson. I like the fact that he's, that he's saying that he studied and spent a lot of work in the offseason to upgrade his game because he was disappointing last year. He was one of the most disappointing players on their team last year because they signed that big contract. You thought he was going to be really good in this defense. And I think a lot of people, including myself, undervalued the transition in terms of from that Arizona kind of hybrid style, like, Four two five defense that that they usually ran, where Jefferson was more that like rover kind of guy, and then comes to this ball the Baltimore kind of three four defense, and he's more of kind of like the the box safety. And I, I don't think he he adjusted as well or as quickly as he as many thought he was going to. Now some of that's on Pease because I know Pease gets a lot of hate for his complex systems, but Wink's all about simplicity, and that's the other thing Jefferson said, and I think that that's so key is that. Every, and everyone said it, and we talked about it so much, is that there's three words that are always usually said or kind of talked about whenever the, this offseason, whenever the Ravens defensive players spoke to the media. They talk about freedom, they talk about simplicity, and they talk about being themselves. So, so Tony Jefferson said, Wink knows me. He knows what I like and where to put me. I think that is going to, going to be able to help me heighten my game this year. Player guys are the strength, and Wink does a good job at that. He's giving us a lot of freedom to be ourselves. I think it's going to help a lot of guys. Just be able to let loose, and obviously we don't want to be a sit-back defense. We want to be aggressive. That fits me, and I think it's going to help me improve my game a lot. 
Now, am I reading into this, or is that a shot at, at Dean Pease? I think it's a lot of wishful thinking and a lot of uh, projecting optimism, which is very common this time of year. I don't think it's a bad thing. You don't want to hear your players saying, well, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. We're not going to try to improve. But if you will remember, at the same time last year, after Brandon Williams signed his big contract, he was saying how he realized he needed to get after the pass, the, the quarterback more, produce more sacks. And unfortunately, that didn't come to fruition. So I'm going to have to withhold judgment on Tony Jefferson improving his pass coverage at this point. But do you think it's a shot? Because do, do you think that all these comments like are a shot at DMPs? Because, dude, everyone has been talking about freedom, simplicity, unleashing. I mean, at, at some point, someone's got to connect the dots and say, is that a shot? I think, personally, I don't think it's like any sort of like hate or ill will towards him, but I think there was a lot of people uh, upset with, the, with, with what he did, especially in the fourth quarters. I mean, I mean, two straight years, fourth quarter collapses that ended their seasons. I mean, two straight years, we watched that prevent defense get scored on. At some point, someone had to have realized that this isn't working, and I think that these players realized it, obviously, and they're saying, I think they're taking shots, and I'm not trying to create a story. I just think that some of them were unhappy, and I think it's clear at this point. I mean, it's possible. You know, we don't know what's really going on behind the scenes. There was plenty of reporting when Pease originally retired before he went to Tennessee that the players were going to miss him, and they were talking how much they enjoyed playing for him. Uh, but sure, I, I can certainly see a scenario where they are much more excited and optimistic with uh, the scheme the scheme tweaks and the wrinkles that Martindale's adding. It, okay, it might not be a a shot, but I think that it's it's certainly something that they're looking forward to this year to have a simpler scheme, I guess you, sh- you should say, and a more aggressive defensive coordinator. I'll say that. Other, other news and notes. Brent Urban passed his physical. Uh, it was reported last night by Jamison Hensley. He passed his physical, and he will not start training camp on the on the pup list. So that leaves uh, Jalen Hill, Bam Bradley, Vince Mail, Marshall Young, and Quincy Adeboyjo all will start on the pup list. But Hensley also reported, and I think that this is interesting. Jalen Hill, Quincy Adeboyjo, and Bam Bradley are all what Hensley says will likely start the season on the pup list. So that right there, there's so many key takeaways for that because if you think about it, that just takes the inside linebacker competition and makes it that much more interesting because that's one less guy competing for it. So you got to think that Albert McClellan definitely might have a better shot to make the roster. Kamala Correa might have a better shot to make the roster. Uh, undrafted guys like Miles Humphrey and Alvin Jones have a shot to make the roster at this point. Cornerbacks, Jalen Hill, they're stashing him on pup, which is something that we speculated a lot and said they should have done. I mean, that totally eliminates the cornerback competition. Now you know the six guys, if they stay healthy, who are going to be there. Now it's just a battle for snaps. And then Quincy Adeboisho, they're just stashing him on, on the pup list. I mean, he wasn't really going to have – I don't think he was really going to be a main player in the wide receiver competition. Yeah, it's good. I think, you know, you carry more guys on pup, you have more depth. And then whoever – when they get healthy, they can come back. Uh, you think Yonda's going to be – we're going to see Yonda on the field anytime soon? I don't know. I think they're going to be cautious with Yonda. I, I would be surprised – I mean, Yonda's definitely not playing in the Hall of Fame game. There's no way about that. There, there's no doubt that, that he's not playing in that game. I would be surprised if Joe Flacco played in that game. I mean, they're not going to play a lot of their guy, a lot of their top-tier guys in that game, and they shouldn't. And no, most teams don't. So you have five preseason games, let, let your younger guys go in there and have fun, but don't – and see what you got. But don't, don't, don't play your starters in that game. Um, Yanda, if I were guessing today, I would say he makes an appearance, maybe preseason game three, four, but limited. And they're, they're going to take it slow with him because they saw what happened to their offensive line without him. And they, and they see what he can do for that, that group. Especially, I mean, you think about it, that's a, that's a group that, that, that kind of lacks veteran leadership, right? 
I mean, Stanley's still relatively new. I mean, he's entering his third year. Alex Lewis is, is also entering his third year, but he's only played one season and 10 games at that. Uh, Matt Skura, another new, very young guy. Then you got Yonda, who's the veteran. And then you have probably Orlando Brown, who is a rookie. So that's a group that needs veteran leadership, and you need Yonda out there at this point. Because if Yonda goes down again, what are you going to do at right guard? I mean, I guess you put in Hurst, but that's a that's a young, young offensive line. That's a tough task for, for Joe D. I concur. I, I, frankly, I don't need to see Yonda in the preseason games really at all. You know, maybe one series in the third, in the fourth game, I guess, since they have five this year, one or two series. But I do hope that he is practicing on the practice field relatively soon because he's going to be starting next to, hypothetically, two new starters in Orlando Brown and the center, whether it be Skura or Lewis or Bozeman or Siragusa. But they do need time to, to get together. Uh, some uh, wise football minds have said an offensive line, a good offensive line is like five fingers in a glove, and they need to learn the little intricacies and shading some way and making the calls and just gaining that familiarity with each other. Absolutely. I think that there's so much to dissect here, and there's, there's, there's so much you can really – kind of go in with it but the last thing we're going to talk about Jamison Hensley just tweeted this out and I think it's pretty interesting he said that the starting the Ravens starting defense right now as training camp begins and this is something that that I think is great is defensive end starting Brent Urban nose tackle Brandon Williams defensive tackle uh, Willie Henry and that's kind of where I want to start with this is that it looks like they're moving Williams back to nose tackle because last year they moved him to kind of a three tech spot so that so they could make room for Pierce but to play nose tackle, but that just didn't work, and Pierce was ineffective. So I think I think now that, that that's their best three right there, in my opinion. That, that that's their best combination of of starting defensive line. Like that, that's that, that's what they should strive for and keep because we saw how how productive Henry was, and we can see that Pierce or, or Williams is much better than at the nose tackle spot. I like it. I like it a lot. I think Henry and Urban are probably the two best pass rushers in the entire. Uh, defensive line too deep and then if you start Williams you can bring Pierce in for obvious passing situations to to bring some of that pocket collapsing that he did pretty well as a rookie you have Davis backing up Henry for maybe more run situations you know goal line heavy packages and then Urban with maybe Wormley and possibly even Siler uh, rotating in there it's a good grouping. I like having seeing B. Will back in the middle. It all rolls around him. Yeah, Pierce took a step back last year, and a lot of people were like, "Why? Why?" I, I think he just is not what everyone thought he was. I mean, he had a phenomenal rookie year, but he's not. I think he's just really good as a rotation guy. I don't think he's an everyday three-down player. In my in my opinion, I just don't think he is, and I think that they, he proved that last year because they tried to make make a spot for him and move Williams, but it just didn't work. So, Well, the loss of Williams for that four-game stretch when he had that, that foot injury, it put a ton of snaps on Pierce, and he just really wore down, and he could never really recover after that. So I think he's definitely better in a rotational role. Absolutely. So do you have any final thoughts, anything you want to any, – any bold predictions or anything you want to throw out as training camp begins today? And we are – Amped up because football is back in Baltimore. I think Peanut's going to lock up the weak side job relatively soon as the starter next to Mosley. I guess that's not super bold. And I think Tim White is going to ball per usual. Denarian Grant is going to turn heads this year in the, in the preseason in the training camp. 
I'm not so sure. I'm not ready to, to, to say that he is going to win the job. But there is a good chance Janarian Grant gives Tim White a good run for his money. And there's a chance that Janarian Grant might have an injury, and I'm putting injury in quotes, because the Ravens want to stash him. Similar to what they did with Tim White last year. Remember, Tim White was competing with Michael Campanero, and then he had that thumb injury. Something like that might happen to Janarian Grant. We're definitely going to see some rookies stashed on injured reserve. Potentially four, maybe even five. That's really bold, but maybe even five of their day three picks end up on injured reserve. You hear the music? Uh, make sure you tune in to BaltimoreBeatdown.com. We have all the latest news. we got several, several people, including myself, will always be at training camp. We'll give you all the latest and breaking news. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at BeMoreBeatdown. You can follow me on Twitter at RealLoganLevy. You can follow Vasily on MySpace at Vasily Barikos. Uh With that, we're out. I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.